Hello, welcome to Commission Over Coffee, where we engage in an ongoing conversation with key leaders who are making disciples in Florida and across the globe. Welcome to Commission Over Coffee. I am Sean Walker, joined by Dan Alvers and Ernest Walker. Ernest Walker is my grandfather, so I'm going to call him Opa from here on out. And um, he has been in the ministry for a long time, and we wanted to talk to him today about longevity in ministry. So, Opa, other than being my grandfather, what is your story? Well, I was born in near Birmingham, Alabama in 1926. I uh, was born into a Christian home, and uh, I, when I finished high school, I went into the Marine Corps uh, and was in combat in the Marine Corps. After I came back uh, from the Marine Corps, I uh, uh, enrolled in college at Howard College in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and while in college, I had my first pastorate. And uh, from that time on until the present, I've been in uh, the Lord's work. Uh, I retired in 1990 but have not uh, ceased uh, doing work for the Lord uh, and continue to preach until this day. To follow that up, that's a wonderful short rendition, if you will, of your story. How long have you been in vocational ministry, and where are some of the places that you've served? I've been in the ministry for 69 years, pastored most of those years. I've pastored in the state of Alabama uh, and in a major part of my life in in Florida. Uh, I've also been able to pastor uh, in interim work. I retired in 1990 and have done interim work, and after that have gone into foreign mission work, uh, uh, serving in Bremen, Germany, and in East uh, uh, Germany. Uh, and since that time, I've had the opportunity of, of uh, having additional uh, interims. During my ministry, I have uh, been able to uh, teach uh, in the local uh, college. I've, I've taught uh, comparative religions, also an extension of my own university, uh, Samford University. I have taught biblical studies in extension work. And uh, I came up during the time when we had... Uh, revivals and uh, the Lord has given me a, a wonderful opportunity of doing evangelism uh, through revival meetings and then also I've had the opportunity of doing an awful lot of teaching and Bible studies so I've I've been able to wear several hats uh, during my ministry Opa um you forgot to mention one big part of your ministry. Um, since in particular, you um, did a revival at a place called Possum Trot. Isn't that right? <laughs> I, I think I preached in Possum Trot, but I didn't have a citywide meeting in uh, Possum Trot. <laughs> also, uh, Lizard Thicket. I was, uh, wow. and uh, quite a few other interesting places that I had. <laughs> And how long did you pastor at First Baptist Valparaiso? 
just under 30 years. It was a little over 20, about 29 and a half years that I pastored at the First Baptist Church of Alparaso. Opa, having been in ministry for so long and now looking back, what are some of the biggest struggles that you had in ministry? I think that the biggest struggle that I've had uh, would be conflict within the congregation. I'm not a, a confrontational person. I've, by nature, I've been a, a little bit shy and backward, and so this made it even more complicated for me. But it uh, it it cannot be avoided, and I think that uh, uh, conflict between individual members. And then maybe a division in the thinking of the church uh, in making decisions. And then there, there are people from time to time who have come into the congregation who some, somehow have an issue, and it invariably ends up in the, uh, the lap of the, of the pastor. So I think that that was my biggest struggle. Of course, I, I think that uh, over a long period of time, that uh, any pastor probably would be like myself in having to deal with discouragement. Too often I think that we uh, uh, maybe gauge the success of our work on visible results and they're not forthcoming and it's easy to get discouraged. So I would I would say that that was a struggle. And, and of course, I think that every pastor if he's honest with himself, will will have to struggle with his own ego, and he's got to make sure that that pride does not enter into what he is is doing and his preaching and in whatever success he might have. So I think that these are some of the struggles that I've had. A lot of struggles that are uh, not familiar to most pastors, right? I mean, ego, yeah, no, conflict. That's, that's not Whoever normal. Whoever deals with that. <laughs> Based on those struggles and probably a, a host of other struggles that come into pastoral ministry over the years that maybe you didn't mention, how have you been able to achieve longevity in ministry? How have you been able to manage all that? I had a friend by the name of jo, uh, Joe Bamberg, and I asked him that question one time, and he says, Ernest, some people can move and some people can't. Uh, well, that's partially true, I'm sure. But I think that in my case, one of the reasons that I had a long ministry uh, here in Valparaiso was the fact that it is a military-oriented church. Uh, In a sense, the church changes uh, over a period of months and years, and and, uh, within a couple of years, you may have a different congregation so it's, uh, I think that uh, contributes toward uh, uh, longevity. I, I feel that, uh, that this is a, a real factor in my case. I think that uh, longevity depends upon your attitude toward your work. Uh, what are your challenges in your work? Uh, what do you feel that you could set as a goal and, and achieve that? If you maintain a sense of challenge and uh, and you feel that you, with whatever abilities or limitation of your abilities, that you're able to, 
to deal with this, I think that this contributes toward longevity. I don't think that you can ever uh, let the size of the congregation dictate how long you're going to stay, although I think that there's a point in your your ministry when you feel that you are are ready to move on to uh, something else with a greater responsibility and maybe even greater uh, size. But I think that uh, as far as longevity is concerned, you need to keep a sense of your calling. What are you called to do? And uh, keep that in in focus as you 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 do your uh, ministry, and I, I think also that as far as longevity is concerned, that uh, you need to to be aware of of your uh, limitations, and there may come to a, be, uh, be a time when you will uh, realize that uh, you need to move on. To follow that up, Opa. There are some guys who have been serving um, maybe in one church for a long time, or maybe they've been serving in multiple churches over a span of time, and they just feel burnt out in ministry. How can uh, burnt out ministers regain their joy in ministry? I don't. I've never felt that I uh, have been burned out. I think there are times when you get pretty discouraged, and I think you just have to. To work through that, but as far as regaining the joy of, of your work, I believe that uh, it would have to be a personal thing to begin with. In other words, you're going to have to uh, really commit this to the Lord, and and you're going to have to pray about it. And and uh, if this if this reaches a point where you really are burned out, as you as you say. You might even need to see a, a doctor because it's a physical drain. Uh, it's a stressful thing, and it may be that that you need to do that. I've thought a lot about uh, sabbatical. I uh, I know that not many churches uh, practice that and give their pastor a sabbatical, but uh, I think wise churches do, and the, and the. Uh, the pastor is able to get aside for a, a few weeks and months and concentrate on re- regaining his perspective and and uh, really getting his spiritual energy back. Uh, I think that's something that uh, probably hadn't developed very much, but it would be of help. I also think that uh, conferences are... are uh, good for kind of regaining. I, I can remember in my own state of Alabama and uh, in Florida, we had great evangelism conferences, and they usually came in January, uh, when I guess you're, you're pretty well exhausted uh, from the, the Christmas season and so forth. And we had some great speakers, and we had some great fellowship with other pastors and I think that this this helps a lot. I believe it does a pastor good to be able to get with other pastors. Uh, go to your conventions and go to your evangelism conferences. I think in extreme cases for burnout that there are some conference centers that have programs that are designed to help the pastor who may seem to be uh, burned out. 
So I, I'm not having experienced that. I, I, I can't really say anything definitive about it, but uh, those are just some of my thoughts about this. Well, and you, you probably haven't ever experienced that burnout because Oma, your wife, can cook so good that any time you experience a little bit of depletion of joy, her cornbread or her black-eyed peas or anything that she makes can just revive that joy in you. Right, and just seeing her smiling face, isn't that? Well, that too. That's a little more romantic than what I was saying. <laughs> Based on that comment and conversation, it seems like today the family is under attack. All you have to do is watch the news, and you can see that as a reality. But it's something deeply embedded in the Scripture itself. We've, in our congregation, just gone through a Bible study through the book of Genesis, and you can see it as epidemic, even in the Bible that things are awry in the family, and I know that the satanic forces want to tear down the lead family of every local church. The pastor's family is so crucial. So what are some ways in your own past and in your own family you had to protect or build a hedge, if you will, around your family? Uh, that is a really good Bible word. Hedge. We, yeah, hedge. Hedge of protection. Well, I think to begin with that uh, a pastor has to establish a priority as far as family is concerned. For instance, when I came to the First Baptist Church of Valparaiso, I stated my priorities to them. Uh, I said Christ first, of course, and preaching preaching Jesus Christ first. The second thing I said is my family. And third are those who are hurting in the congregation, the sick and the needy. But from the very outset, I tried to let them know that uh, that the care of my family uh, uh, is was a priority, and I believe this can be done when you when a pastor goes into the church for the first time. Uh, I think then too that uh, the uh, he he must uh, he must discipline himself to have time with his family, and this is the most difficult thing that I think a pastor has. I, I was uh, in the pastorate when I did not have a, a large staff. I didn't have, to begin with, any staff whatsoever. And this meant that uh, every facet of the work was in my hands. The youth work, uh, vacation Bible school, uh, visitation, uh, all of it was in my hands. That's kind of changed now. And I think that uh, uh, having a multiple staff uh, can free up a pastor to have more time uh, with his family. But it has to be a discipline. And uh, I think that most of us, uh, especially in my day, would have to say that we didn't really have as much time with them as we should. I think having a, a, a helpful wife, one who's, who's a good mother, uh, is a, a biggest asset because uh, in our own case, Pauline uh, taught so much uh, that I did not teach my children. She would have time with them each each evening, and she she was able to to uh, nurture them uh, in the faith. But I think that that the key uh, is going to have to be the teaching in the home. We can certainly do a lot in the uh, church, but teaching in the home is, is of primary importance. 
Opa, how have relationships, whether relationships with other pastors or relationships with um, deacons or relationships with family members, how have relationships helped you deal with the struggles of ministry? Well, here again, I, I would start with my wife, Pauline. She's She's been my greatest supporter, and uh, she's been a part of what I call my team. In uh, our whole ministry, we have worked together, and and I think that this has been one of the greatest assets as far as uh, relationships uh, and helping us. Uh, in in almost every church that I have pastored, I have had some key person. Uh, it may not have been the the most outstanding leader in the church, but. Uh, I think of the men that have sort of uh, been an encouragement to me and and uh, through whom I could work and uh, we could share. I have never had, uh, and I guess this is probably a failure on my part, I've never had a, a close relationship to a fellow pastor uh, in the sense that, uh, that we uh, mutually encouraged each other, the the fellowship that we enjoyed in the association was uh, was helpful, and uh, it was a time when we could share uh, our needs. I did have a, a mentor in in uh, seminary and college, Dr. Ray Frank Robbins, and many times I've had him in my churches, and as well as listening to him teach. And I think that that this was helpful. But I believe that uh, usually within a a church, if you're a pastor, you're going to find one or two people, uh, one or two men that are going to be uh, able to help you and you can put your confidence in. At Commission Over Coffee, we take discipleship pretty serious. I guess that's kind of what forms our whole conversation. And uh, we realize the importance of making disciples as a pastor and so, how have you, as a pastor, been able to make disciples over the years? I think that there are two, two factors to this. One is making disciples and then developing disciples. Of course, making disciples is the evangelism side of it. Uh, I, I regret the fact that we don't have... Uh, revival services anymore that that was a, a strong evangelistic outreach but during my ministry this was a, a big part of my ministry i i would usually have uh, i would say at least three or four revivals during the year uh, and sometimes more than that my church allowed me to do that i think that as far as discipleship is concerned and making discipleships the the greatest avenue that we had during my day was the Sunday school. Uh, this uh, was this was the way we were able to reach people for the Lord, and then of course one on one. And this has changed during the years. Uh, you just don't go knocking on a door now uh, without an, an invitation or, or asking for permission. And so I think that. Uh, Visitation evangelism has uh, uh, probably lessened. As far as developing disciples, I, th I think this was a goal of my preaching. 
I preached evangelistic sermons, but I realized that that in an average congregation, the great majority of people were professing Christians, and so for that reason, I have uh, I have tried to stay with the Word and just preaching the Word because I think that's that's where disciples are nurtured. I think there's another thing that. Uh, about discipleship, and, and I think it begins with children. Uh, wherever Pauline and I have ministered, we have almost always begun with providing uh, for children and the children's ministry. Uh, I feel today that this is our greatest opportunity of making disciples. If, we, if we're able to win these children and nurture them, then then we're going to see the fruit of that for a long time. So uh, I think that in, in, in this day, things have changed with the technology that you have. You take this program here uh, is, a, is an avenue of discipleship. And, uh, and, and the computer, uh, television, uh, if we can ever turn television in the right direction, well, it's a great... Uh, instrument for our discipleship. Well, we, we have TBN. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I just, something inside me died. <laughs> uh, Opop, how have you seen churches work together to pursue the Great Commission? That's what one of the things we want to do at Commission Over Coffee is help churches team up together. And um, in your day, that it, it was really the heyday of associations and uh, you know the purpose being to take the Great Commission and, and do it. So how have you seen churches work together to pursue the Great Commission? I think that probably now it would have to be, first of all, on a local level. Uh, of people who have a mutual field or a mutual uh, ministry type thing. And I think that in the uh, working together for the extension of the gospel that we still have one of the best programs in the world in the cooperative program because this this uh, utilizes the, the funds and the efforts of uh, so many churches uh and we can do things in uh, reaching people for the Lord uh, by working together, by pooling our efforts, so to speak. So I'm a firm believer in, in the cooperative program, and I'm, I'm just blessed to see that in our own state of Florida that now uh, I believe we've reached 50% of our income going to, uh, to missions, to the work of the Lord. In our own uh, church here, we had the advantage of, of a cooperation in the fact that we started a, a mission in uh, Blue Water Bay, and uh, we utilized the facilities of the, of the Florida Baptist Convention. They helped us finance it. They helped us plan it. And, and so I think this is the way that we can uh, work together. I think there's a danger and uh, when we come to our, our churches uh, working together, I, we can become provincial. We're, we, we sort of feel like that we're the ones that are, are extending the kingdom when we're part of a much larger effort. And that church down the street is our sister church, and we're in this together. And we need to develop that kind of, of thinking and, and not allow ourselves to become provincial. 
Now, Opa, when you say um, that y'all y'all uh, planted a mission, nowadays we would just say you planted a church. <laughs> so you planted a church over in Blue Water Bay, Florida. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to follow this up with a more personal question, um, one that kind of helps inform younger pastors what they need to be thinking about, but here we go. What would you have done different in ministry if you could do it all over again? I, I believe that I would become more involved with my community. Now, let me explain that. Uh, I think that I would uh, be a part of it, one or two organizations that involve people outside the church. For instance, uh, the Chamber of Commerce. The ch- Chamber of Commerce involves businesses of all kinds and uh and you're meeting people uh, leaders of your community uh as well as people who are working in the uh in the various places and doing the the business of the community uh, i did not do that I, I think that uh the demands of were so much on me with with so little staff that that I didn't uh, feel that I, I had that time. So if you ask if there's something I would change, I think that I would make it. Uh, I'd make time for uh, being involved in, a, in in things like that. Now I I, I feel that uh, I've been a part of a lot of uh, community efforts, uh, but it's involved the, the church. You know, working with the church. I. I I think the second thing that I would uh, would really try to concentrate on and change if I could was one-on-one evangelism. Uh, I I, uh, I feel that uh, there was so much a need of one-on-one evangelism, and and uh, somehow I did not. Uh, take the time to do that as well as I should, and I, I feel that I would would change that. Other than that, I don't think much that I'd change. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say, Opa, there's a pastor, and he's in the position of a church where he's feeling discouraged, where he's dealing with conflict. How How does he know? How does any pastor know when to leave the church or when to stay? This is a difficult thing to, uh, to answer. I, I believe that uh, to begin with, uh, a pastor needs to keep in mind what the need of his church is, and this might govern how long he's going to stay. Uh, for example, uh, I've been in, in two or three churches where the need was obviously to bring the church together. They, they've been uh, fragmented. They've had had difficulties. I guess that was part of my calling, to be a sort of a doctor trying to help a patient. Well, uh, you, you gauge, well, how, how well have you succeeded? How, how far along are you? Uh, and, and does the need still exist there? You haven't uh, achieved what you're, you're hoping to. Of course, there are going to be times when I think that a man realizes, hey, I, I'm just not going to be able to. It's going to have to take somebody else to do it. So I think that uh, keeping that in mind uh, would determine 
whether or not you feel you should move. I believe that you you should move if it's obvious that you're you've lost the support of your congregation. Uh, this is uh, and then you cannot function. You cannot lead unless you have the support of the cong- uh, congregation. I think ultimately, uh, and this is going to sound kind of strange, but I think it's uh, the feeling that you have. The, the I think this is the work of the Holy Spirit when you. When you can't really give a great reason, you're, everything's going fine. It looks like it's, it's it's sort of real rosy, and you could be comfortable standing there, but staying there. But you feel that uh, that uh, God has something else for you, and this this can only be experienced. I, I couldn't uh, explain it, and, and uh, I believe that this would be my feelings about that. We've had a very robust conversation. Uh, so far and it's been very pointed and very helpful I think in so many ways but pastors may be sitting there wondering several things one of the things is like what okay what what's the number one thing or number three things or what are the things I need to focus on and so basic question that we have is what advice would you give to pastors as a whole like in thinking about ministry and where they're headed well, I'm just going to give you some general thoughts. <clears throat> One is, I think you you must guard your study time. Uh, this is all important. If you're a pastor and, and you're called to preach the Word, you need to have a Word from the Lord. And you can't get it by just uh, picking up something on Saturday night. You need that time uh, to uh, meditate on the Word, to know what you're going to say, uh, to have time in prayer and commit this thing to the Lord and and uh, to me this is this is all important. I think you should focus on glorifying Jesus Christ. Don't ever uh, think of your your ministry as a an occupation. It's a job. Uh, it has to be beyond that. It's a calling. And you are steward. You're a steward of God's word, and He's He's put you in a particular place, and and you need to keep that in mind. A third thing is, I would say, dare to preach the entire word of God, not just part of it. I think that a pastor can can fall into the trap of of just preaching uh, a certain segment of it. I, for example. Uh, this this idea of uh, uh, getting from God of uh, health and wealth uh, gospel that's one thing uh, uh, I've known of one pastor that that got into counseling to such depths that it carried over into the pulpit uh, and uh, uh, trying to to show people how they can live a satisfying life I think that it's possible. Uh, for a pastor to go overboard in in preaching prophecy, there's some some preachers that have have gotten into that. So, <clears throat> what I'm saying is, you need to preach the entire Word of God, and that means that you're to to preach uh, sin, you're to preach judgment, you're you're to ride along with love and uh, and uh, grace. So, I think that's another thing. <clears throat> the fourth thing I would say would be love your people 
I had a pastor one time to come and help me in a revival, and I picked him up at a at the airport near our church. And I, we had not even reached the church when he was criticizing his congregation and speaking negatively about his congregation. Love your people. Now, some people are not lovely. I know that. But you need to have a genuine love for your people. I think uh, the next thing I would say, recognize the role of the Holy Spirit in your ministry. Don't try to prepare your sermons without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to witness. Don't try to preach from the pulpit. The Holy Spirit is the, the key to our preaching and our our ministry. And then I think the final thing is, always remember that you are a servant. Paul spoke of himself as a bond slave of Jesus. Well, we are a bond slave of Christ, but we are also a servant of people. And we need to maintain that servant role. Mm, those are, that's quite a wonderful list. Um, I want to pray for the hearts of the people who may be listening to it and for my own heart and for um, our hearts as we continue to move forward. I definitely love the fact that I am called to be a pastor and I appreciate the opportunity to serve the Lord in any capacity. And so let's all join our hearts in, in prayer, both with one another and for the glory of Christ. Our Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful that we gather around it and we look into it and we want to be what it says we are. We want to be relieved from the wickedness of the of the world. Lord, we pray for pastors. Lord, I am thankful that you've called me into pastoral ministry. I am thankful that we can look and see the beauty of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, and see a perfect example of what it means to be a servant and to be a leader. Lord, we pray now for the shepherds of your flock, that they would be faithful, that they would be studious of the word, that they would be praying, that they'd be on their knees, that they would love their people, and that they would be the servants you've called them to be. Lord, help us to suffer well in this world through all the things that we may face. Help us to look to the sufficiency of what you've accomplished in your blood and in your resurrection. Lord, we are so thankful for the cross, and we are so thankful that we can have a new and abundant life in you. Lord, I pray for those pastors who are discouraged, those who are let down. I pray that they would be encouraged by the beauty of the gospel and that they would maintain the, just the awesomeness of the call and they would be overjoyed by it and they would step firmly back into their congregations and into relationships and be renewed. Lord, we do not pray these things so that we would be found uh, fancy or so that we would be recognized as cool. We pray them so that the name of Jesus would go out among the nations, so that people would see us and glorify God. Lord, help us to be that way. For your name and your glory. Amen. All right. Thank you, Opa, for joining us on Commission Over Coffee, and thank you for sharing your wisdom. And also, thank you, Oma. Um, Oma is my grandma. Um, Oma and Opa are actually German for grandma and grandpa. And um, Oma cooked us a great Southern meal right before we, <laughs> we did this. So thank you, Oma, for opening up your home and feeding us. If you would like to be involved in Commission Over Coffee, you can visit us at commissionovercoffee.com slash connect and give us some information about yourself and find some information about us and we will get a hold of you. And uh, here at Commission Over Coffee, we are trying to have a conversation about the Great Commission 
So join us next time and may the conversation continue.